0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: No, Darren, general manager of the Minnesota Wild, is not happy. So the question becomes, and what is he going to do about it? When we're talking about the Minnesota Wild, there is one phone call that we made. We pick up the, uh, the Russo bat phone and call Mike Russo from The Athletic, who joins me now. Mike, how are you, pal? I'm getting back to uh,
2: U.S. Uh, Central Time Zone here. Uh, after a, a pretty good trip mm. to, to sweden yeah it was a, it was a fun fun it, it, trip it really I mean, it,
1: uh, it, 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 it's gorgeous it's gorgeous there I, yeah. I just loved it i mean i was i was there in the in, in the summer albeit briefly but i remember coming back and saying man that that's a place i could stay for a long long time
2: yeah it, that was my first time at that nhl media tour uh um hanging out with you and you and Elliot for a little bit and and amel and uh it was a really fun time and and uh to get back and get there for a week and actually know where I was going and where I wanted to go and all that type of stuff we nice. put on a really good show um william Nylander absolutely uh hit it out of the park he was you know the <laughs> face of, uh, he was the face of the global series and you know talk about ending it in in yeah. just a dramatic fashion at the perfect uh in the perfect way it was just really cool to
1: see. Yeah, you know, but before we drill down on Minnesota, I I am curious about getting your thoughts just on on Swedish hockey in general, because a, a moment like this or, you know, a, a global series like this, like we've all taken some time, I think most hockey fans have, um, to think about Swedish hockey. Um, Swedish hockey's position in the entire landscape of hockey, some key players, uh, the history of, of Swedish hockey, um, the history of how that country fits into the history of hockey. You know, I always think back to the... the, the uh, I think about, rather, I wasn't there to see it, uh, the 1969 World Championships where <laughs> the most emotional games in the history of the sport were played, and that was Czechoslovakia versus the Soviet Union. That was, as I like to say... Two games that existed without metaphor because everything that the Czechoslovakians said they wanted to do, they tried to do um, to the Soviet Union. There was never higher stakes, I don't think, in in two hockey games uh, than Czechoslovakia. And that will all happen in Stockholm. Um, And I'm just curious, too, a a couple of things. One, why did this one seem to really hit at all levels for the NHL? Uh, And also, you know, Mike, you're a longtime hockey guy. How do you see... Either the history of Swedish hockey. I mean, the Minnesota Wild um, have you know no shortage of, of Swedish hockey players now, and and have had Swedish hockey players. Like, where do you see Swedish hockey now, and where do you see it heading?
2: Well, I think it's just uh, the sky's the limit, especially with with guys like Nylander. Uh, you know, put it, you know becoming an absolute star there and putting himself on the map, especially there. Um, you know, uh, you are a historian of the game. I'm not nearly as much as you are, but I uh, mean, you know, I look at, like, Salmings before my time, but I look at, you know, Peter Forsberg, yeah, Nick Lindstrom, great. Henrik Lundquist as sort of the Mount Rushmore of, of, of Swedish hockey. And and now you, you see the fun that Nylander had all week. And what I loved about it is that this guy. Um, you know, was uh, everybody wanted a piece of him, you know, from, from his family and friends to the league wanting him yeah. to do all sorts of things for the league, And he just, he was completely fine with it and then delivered in both games that he played in, as I mentioned, dramatic fashion, you know, going on the talk shows and, and things like that. So it was, it was really cool. The one, the one thing I wish the league did a better job of is, is letting people know that we were there back here. Um, you know, it just felt like especially the U.S. rights holders to not have the games on ESPN or TNT was a huge miss. To have the games on local time at really odd times, like the the Sunday game was at 7 a.m. local here in Minnesota. It just seemed uh, super strange. And even the league really can't explain the, the starting times and, and why the games weren't at least thrown on national TV here. So I think that was a big miss. But mm-hmm. over there, uh, the, the league put on an absolute show. The, the the players uh, were more than willing to get involved and in going to different things and and uh, you know seeing Sundin and re- re- really repair his relationship with the Leafs was really yeah. neat and I thought the fans just did an amazing job. What a great building to watch games in and I just uh, it, it was from my perspective uh, you know a fun fun time. I I just feel like I had much better time at this trip than I did in Finland in 2010 and that's nothing against Finland. I just thought it was a bigger deal over mm. here in in Stockholm.
1: Uh, Avicii looks great um, you know I'll say yeah. just as a side note as well as much as you know William Nylander was you know on stage and front and center and spotlight and TV shows and podcasts and live events and the games themselves I was really happy for Marco Rossi. I mean, I was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, like the. Uh, the I mean, I, I, you've talked about Marco Rossi for years and years and years. And I go back to to watching him in Ottawa with the other uh, sixty sevens, and we all know the health issues that he's fought. I just thought that that was a great moment for Marco Rossi that we saw in Stockholm.
2: Yeah, it's a shame that they didn't win the game, and and he was tremendous. His parents were over there. His girlfriend's stepfather, uh, grandfather, was over there as well. He had a huge uh, cheering section of fans from Austria come over and. Had the big banner right in front of where he scored the goal, um, and as you mentioned, I mean this is the kid that that the last couple of years had an you know an unbelievably scary uh, health malady where he thought he was going to die, couldn't skate, couldn't work out for six months after the the effects of having COVID and myocarditis. Um, then last year had a real tough go at the beginning of his NHL career, and and even Wild fans started to use the term bust. And for him to come out this year, and um, Dean Evason continually. Uh, You know, boisterously calls him their best forward this season. I just think that's a real cool thing. Now, there is a double-edged sword to what. There's a method to Dean's madness. He keeps on saying this to get under the craw of guys like Carol Caprice up and Matt Boldy, who have have been very, very disappointing. Um, So that's one reason why he keeps on saying it every single chance he gets. But there's not, But it's also the truth. Marco has been their most consistent forward really the last month. And, and uh, to me, it's just a really bright spot for the future of the Wild.
1: So uh, I open this up by saying that uh, you know the, the, the now legendary of recent note, Bill Guerin, quote that he's not happy, uh, yep. really not happy. And he's let the team know it. So then the question becomes, what, if anything, is Bill Guerin going to do about it? if he's not happy. Like we look at that central division and listen, yeah. Dallas is great. Uh, Colorado is great. Um, but after that, it really is jump ball. Who's going to grab that three spot. And traditionally we've always said, well, Minnesota's going in there, dummy. That's where Minnesota lives uh, this year. That's very much in question. So what is Bill Guerin going to do about it other than shake a cage here and there?
2: Yeah. And that that's the problem is that he, before the season, because he, extended in all you know, pretty much one full swoop in in Tolino, Zuccarello and Hartman. He's really given himself no options to make a lot of moves, especially relative to their very little cap space. Like when Galagossi comes back from L T I R, they're gonna be back to square one where they were at the beginning of the season where they barely can even afford an extra player on the roster. And um, you know, to me that was the biggest um Problem with with re-signing these thirty-somethings all together is now if this team goes awry this year at the trade deadline, he's given himself very little options. So that leaves one thing, and that's firing Dean Edison. And you know, I wouldn't call it a vote of confidence, but in that exclusive article that I had the other day that you mentioned, um, he definitely uh, made it very clear that he's not happy with the players, and uh, basically said that Dean can't go out there and play and execute for these guys. Um, But that can only, you know, if the edict is to make the playoffs, at some point this is going to come to a head, and the one bullet that that Bill has left in the chambers might have to hit the coach. I don't think it's worth firing Dean Evison. I think that you let this play out the rest of the year, and if they have a really crummy year, at a minimum, maybe you go get a lottery pick. Um, You know, that's something, as you know, Jeff, this organization hasn't had really at all in its history, Um, and I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world for them to have an awful year. I just don't see what a coaching change does. This team is not a a Stanley Cup contender in my mind. So, are you really going to make the, you know, pull this move to try to make the playoffs and just do it to maybe get a couple home gates? Like, I don't think they're even good enough to really go on a long run win around. Maybe so. um, I just don't see what it's worth it. But if again, if the obligation is to make the playoffs, which they still think this team is good enough to do then I do think that this is not going to last much longer. If they continue to lose games and lose in the fashion that they did in Dallas a couple Sundays ago, um, you know, at some point this is Mm -hmm. going to land at the doorstep of Dean Evison. I don't think that Bill's there right now, um, but it's going to come. And so it's really, this is a really important week or two for the wilds right to ship. Um, Their penalty kill has been God awful. I don't know if Bill is at the point where he would just, which is a rarity in the NHL, fire just an assistant. Um, but that could, you know, be in a tough, tough spot for a guy like Bob Woods as well. So I, I just think that this is a really, really precarious position the Wild are in. Where four days from Thanksgiving. While they're only four or five points from a playoff spot, they're also very close to the bottom of the NHL standings. And they just have not been good enough. Like Bill, as you mentioned, just let the players have it the other day. And while they absolutely played better in Sweden, they still didn't win. And uh, that, that is a, a total indictment.
1: The thing is, as much as, and listen, we know that Bill Guerin doesn't want to talk about it or use it as a crutch, $15 million of cap space is a huge thing. That is an enormous, uh, that, that's, you know, you're, you're playing hockey with one skate tied or, you know t- tied yeah. behind your thigh here. Like, that is an incredibly hard thing to pull off. I think, what, I think the strategy is let's make sure that these guys don't have that in their heads and we're not using it as yeah. a crutch, and that's fine in that room. But you and I can talk about it. That is an incredible handicap that this team has to skate with this season and next season. That's why, to your previous point, if it's not there this year, I think it's a good year to, to, to go down to a, yeah. a, as low as you can get. And grab a lottery pick. Like when is this Absolutely, team going I mean, to pop and actualize as a as a playoff team when the fifteen million is off the cap and you can use it. Hey, to- so until yeah, then totally washing your yes. bullets.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. And I don't even think that Bill necessarily disagrees with you either. Like I, I do think though the problem is and, and look, I, I respect it, but Craig Leopold's edict every year is to make the playoffs and that's put them in a sort of dangerous middle that they've been in for a long time and Um, and you know, what I worry about is, and I know like, like it is, you know, I know that Billy loves to say it and, and the players love to say that these, this 14.7 isn't in their head. It is players mention it to me all the time. The other thing is, is that when you have so many guys on long-term deals and, you know, no trade clauses up and down the lineup, I, I do think that it becomes a point where they start to get very comfortable. You know, Bill, Dean Everson doesn't have the yeah. ability to just scratch guys, to bench guys. And, you know, I'm not saying that they mm. should be at the point where Pascal Vincent's, you know, where it looks like that Liney's going to be a healthy scratch again t- tomorrow. Um, you know, it, but there comes a point where you got to send a message to Matt Boldy. Uh, like, Matt Boldy has been terrible this season. Absolutely terrible. And, um, and his game is just not there right now. And at some point, you've got to... <laughs> let a guy know that has yeah. always been told he's the greatest thing from Slice Bay that he might not be. And you've got to send him a message. Um, you know, Krill at least is working hard every single night and getting shots and things like that. He's, but he's got one even strength goal this year, Jeff. It's less than Dakota yeah, Mermit. It's, 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 you know, it's less than Jake Middleton. It's not good.
1: Uh, I always say the same thing. I wish we had more time. Um, yeah. Listen, continued success. Glad you had a great time in, uh, in, in Stockholm. Uh, congratulations on packing the joint. I love the pictures, Mike. Uh, and we'll, yeah. uh, we'll check back real soon. Never a shortage of things to talk about in Minnesota. Thanks, pal. You'll be good. Yep, thanks, Jeff. Bye-bye. Mike Russo from The Athletic, covering the Minnesota Wild. Time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local, Matt Marchese. We have no games Tonight zero bagel donuts. So what are we doing? We're doing heart trophy odds. Uh, and the the five leaders or I guess six leaders
3: as of right now. Connor McDavid leads the way uh, plus three hundred. Austin Matthews plus four fifty. Eh. Jack Hughes plus five hundred. David Pasternak plus six hundred. Elias Elias Pedersen plus nine hundred. But Jeff, I've got
1: two that yeah. I look at and go, hold on a second. How about Hang uh, on. can I guess? Can I guess? Sure. Can I guess. Can sure. I guess? Yeah. Okay, because these would be my two, and I keep flip-flopping on the order. Mm -hmm. Uh, Justin and Ailish uh, asked me about this last night. My top two are Quinn Hughes and our Temi Panarin, and depending on the hour, I'll flip-flop both of them. So I don't have either of them, but I like both of them, especially the Quinn Hughes one. Uh, Ah.
3: How about William Nylander at 66-1 to right now on pace for 130 points? And here's another one, Jeff. Uh, Sidney Crosby. Okay. 80 to 1. 106 point pace. Most points in their age 36 season. Timo Solani in 2006 2007. And Jean Ratel in 1976 77 with 94 points. 12 points he could clear them both by.
1: Impressive. Um, lots to chew on there. We're up against the clock. And that was Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown book Bet Local. It was only a couple of years ago that I wrote Panarin's name down as a number one. I'm getting that feeling again. But then I watch Quinn Hughes in Vancouver and say, how can I not put that name down? The guy's fantastic. Hour two is coming up in a couple of moments here. Uh, Brian McClellan, general manager of the Washington Capitals, still to come.
0: Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The JD Bunkers podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify,
4: or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Welcome to Hour 2 of the program. You know, one of the things that I really like is Team Hall of Fames. There is the Hockey Hall of Fame, the Capital H Hockey Hall of Fame. There are also Team Hall of Fames as well. And I love teams that, you know, even if they don't have a history that stretches back to the 1920s, they still have a lot of people that they can celebrate. Case in point, the Tampa Bay Lightning and going in... Uh, the 2024 Hall of Fame class for the Tampa Bay Lightning, a couple of 2004 Stanley Cup champions, Brad Richards, and my next guest, the great Dave Andrichuk. Dave, thanks so much uh, for joining me here today. Always a pleasure to catch up with you, and congratulations.
0: Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, it was uh, a little bit of a surprise. Um, You know, I didn't spend a lot of time in, in Tampa. Obviously, I've lived here for quite a few years now, and I've been with the organization, but Playing wise, I was only there four years. So obviously, some pretty good times. Uh, you know, winning a cup there, and I'm uh, I'm extremely uh, really excited that uh, you know my family and I will have a great uh, weekend in March.
1: You know, it's uh, and that's going to be during Alumni Weekend, uh, March 8th to 9th, uh, which is another tremendous thing as well. But I, I know you, you mentioned that you weren't there. A long time but having said that the impact of that 2004 team and that first Stanley Cup you know like I couldn't you know every time I talk to, to Neil Smith about the, the New York Rangers and their Stanley Cup in 1994 he says that I still have people coming up to me today and thanking me for that one because it ended that drought and he'll be associated with that forever and the gravity of that was pretty strong much like you know as much as you say oh I was kind of surprised Dave, like, you know, on that team and you're a big part of it, that sticks with fans and that's going to stick with fans forever. And, you know, I, I know you don't like to-, to big yourself up. I know you've never been that kind of guy. But what do you take pride in when you look back at that 2004 team? And I'm going to ask you about a few of the players specifically. But when you look at that Stanley Cup winner, what do you personally take the most pride in?
0: Well, first and foremost, you know, there was the end of my career. And, you know, there's a list that nobody wants to be on, right? You know, uh, I, I was following yes. Ray Bork yes. on that list. <laughs> and uh, then <laughs> I became on that list. You don't want to be on that list. So, um, you, know, first, you know, that to me, uh, uh, getting off of that list for being in the league that long and kind of sticking with it and finally, you know, getting a championship, uh, uh, I take a lot of pride in that. You know, secondly there was a lot of lean years here in Tampa early on, you know, they came in in, the, in, in the early nineties, uh, not a very good team uh, didn't have a lot of success. And I think turning around the franchise also was part of that group, right? Like I, I I'm not going to take, you know, very much of the credit because there was a lot of guys that did that, that played that played a role in that, you know, John Tortorella, Jay Feaster, Rick Dudley, you know, and obviously all the guys on the team. And I think that that, for our community, was the first time that they've ever, um, you know, had a long run like that. You know, they were in the playoffs once, um, you know, in the mid-90s, uh, lost to Philly in the first round. But other than that, really no playoff success. So I think I, I, and, you know, same with Neil Smith. I get a lot of people talking about, you know, what a great team. Time that was for them because they'd never experienced that before and you know we're all very proud mm. of that we've uh, we put we put the franchise on the map uh obviously they've done some really good things in the last 10 years here uh, but you know it was the first little run that this community got to really come get behind it you know a hockey team making a making a deep playoff run
1: you know, I'm glad you mentioned Jay Feaster. And uh, I'm in conversation with Dave Andrichuk going into the uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning Hall of Fame on uh, Alumni Weekend, March 8th to 9th. I'm glad you mentioned Jay Feaster. Um, he's one of my favorite people to talk about. Uh, and his success with Tampa um, is really intriguing to me. And, and I always think back, okay, what was the moment that things really turned? Or what were some of the pivotal moments along the way for a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning? And to me, it was... It was one decision that Jay Feaster made, and it wasn't in front of a camera. Uh, It wasn't in front of many people. It was essentially in front of two people. And it was in front of John Tortorella, and it was in front of Vincent LeCavalier. And there had been some acrimony between the two, not on the same page. And Feaster essentially went to both and said, Look, I'm not going to fire Tortorella, and I'm not going to trade Vinny LeCavalier. You guys need to work this out and figure it out. And if you would have fired one or traded one, who knows where Tampa would have ended up. But that was Jay Feaster understanding the moment, understanding the value of those two people, and keeping everything together. It's one of my favorite Jay Feaster moments. When I say the name Jay Feaster to you, Dave Andrewchuck, what comes to your mind?
0: Well, his passion for the game. Let me tell you, like you know, this is a GM that never was hiding in his office. He was front and center. Uh, he was talking to the media every day. We saw it as players, right? Like, and that that resonates amongst yeah. us. That, you know, this is a guy that wants to win just as bad as us. Uh, there were some great Jay Feaster moments, man. I mean, I we don't have we don't have enough time in the day to to really talk about all the good <laughs> things that he did. Um, you know, let's start with, you know, trading a first-round pick for Ruslan Fedotanko. You know, it's a fourth overall pick. Uh, it, was a, it was a bold move at that time, right? And I think, I think John Tortorella said, we need a player that can play immediately. And obviously, Ruslan had a huge impact on us winning, you know, the his, his game-winning goal in Game 7, uh, the way that he battled, yep. uh, you know, coming back from an injury Uh, That's just one moment. Uh, I will say probably another defining moment for Jay Feaster is making the deal for Daryl Sador, probably a month before the deadline. Uh, To me, that put us over the top. It might not be a name that everybody can associate with winning, but, oh, my gosh, Mm -hmm. he is a super player. He played really well for us. Already, you know, had some playoff success you know, in Dallas, in L.A., brought in that kind of mentality. And Jay making that move to, to stabilize our defense really put us over the top because he played big minutes against top guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Jay wasn't afraid to make that move, right? Like, and that's a move that, you know, and we all talk about the moves that that, that Stanley Cup teams make at the deadline that, that helps the team. And I think that was one of them, right? Yeah, one of my favorite people in the world, Jay Feaster, him and I still are, are almost talking daily. You know, he works for the, for the Lightning. I see him a lot. Um, yeah. And, you know, we, we, we hash a lot of good times that we had together. But uh, he, was, uh, he was a guy that was a huge part of us winning.
1: A shell champion, Calder Cup, uh, Stanley Cup champion in the NHL as well. It's uh, it's an impressive resume for uh, for Jay Feaster, and I, I echo all those things. He's uh, he's one of my favorite people to to, to talk to, and just a, a fountain of knowledge as well. Um, so you're going in with Brad Richards, and uh, no one can talk about Brad Richards better than Ron McLean. Uh, we all know that Ron knows the entire, you know, the entire biography. He knows everything about, about Brad Richards. I'll try to do my sort of nick, nickel and dime. Um, you know, really impressive, and I, I still think underrated career. Like when you look at the skill set that Brad Richards brought, you know, game in and game out, he was, you know, one of the elites for the longest time. And I'll just ask you the same question that asked about Feaster. When I say Brad Richards, what does Dave Anderchuk say?
0: Well, first and foremost, he's a really good friend of mine, and I think we became very good friends when he was there. I know there was there's there's you know at that time, you know it seems like a huge age gap uh, between the two of us, but man, he just loves the game. Uh, he's He's passionate about it. We would get up in the morning and talk about every game that happened the night before, the goals that were scored. He watches hockey twenty four seven. and you know that to me is what puts him over the top. Obviously, talent-wise. You know, this is a guy that played 1,100 games. He's got over 900 points. You know, he's got cups. He's he's done it all, right? And, uh, and you're right. Yeah. I think he flew under the radar a little bit. Coming in with Vinny LeCavier right after him, you know, all the press was on Vinny, and this guy just went about his business. And uh, that line of St. Louis, Freddie Modine, and, and Brad Richards carried us offensively. Not only in the playoffs, but you know, all the way through mm-hmm. my career there in Tampa, he was a awesome, awesome player. And you know, again, it, it's the kind of guy that you know, as you said, maybe he's underrated. And I, you know, none of us would feel that way. None of us would feel that that this is a guy that is a, it, He's a super talent. And um, you know, that yeah. record still holds. Still, still the seven game winning goals in the in the playoffs. Uh, he was obviously clutch for us. So I am I'm really excited to be going into the Hall of Fame with him and well deserved for him. He was a he was an awesome lightning player and he deserves to be there.
1: Martin Saint Louis, here's my question to you. Back when you played with Marty in Tampa, did you ever think he would become an NHL coach?
0: Um Yes and no. I think, you know, it's hard to be. There's 32 of them right in the league. That's a, not an easy job to get. <laughs> um, yeah. But but at the same time, Marty was a student of the game. And, you know, talk about a guy watching video. I know there was no iPads on the bench then. But, yep. man, he, in between periods, he was watching video. And what happened in the period? I couldn't imagine if he was playing when there were iPads because he He'd have been on that every shift, and he just uh, – he wanted to be better. Obviously, the story speaks for itself. You know, I'm, I'm drafted, uh, the, the oh, first, yeah. first bounce of the famer. I mean, everything is, falls into place for Marty. And Marty was a guy that we all followed. We all followed his work ethic. If we could only work as half as Marty St. Louis, we would have been successful. And that's what happened. Marty just took mm-hmm. us on his back. He carried us uh, his determination. You know, uh, I, I always refer back to, you know, you know. obviously Expo is still working for us. And Phil Esposito has a lineup that he tells me every once in a while. He says, not much has changed in our game. He said, you know, it's faster, it's bigger, they shoot better and everything else. But one thing that has not changed is you throw the puck in the corner Two guys go in the corner, and one comes out with it.
4: And that's Marty St.
0: Louis. Um, He won so many puck battles. I mean, he was John Tortorella's favorite guy on the videos because he would show time and time again Marty winning a battle. And it was just, you know, it was inspiring for all of us. So, yeah, Marty is, uh, uh, he loves it, right? Right now, I mean, I'm sure that you guys have talked to him about it you know his passion his passion for coaching and, and making players better making younger guys better
1: he, he loves
0: it he just loves it and uh, he he was a he was obviously a, a special player
1: in conversation with Dave Andruchuk here on the Jeff Merrick show um, a, a couple more for you here i'm i'm really curious uh, your thoughts on this one? So this uh, this radio slash television slash podcast property. Uh, people are listening in Calgary right now. Um, give us your thoughts on Game Six and the Jelena play.
0: Hmm. Well, I feel I I, I I can't feel sorry for them to be honest with you, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I do get it. I do get a lot of conversation about it. Uh, I will say that that yep. Game Six. And I've been in some, obviously, as you know, some some big, big games. Uh, That has to be the greatest game that that I was ever in. I had a front row seat to watch my team just absolutely gut it out. And, you know, with the cup in the building, with the bicycle rack and the parade route out, and we went in there and won in double overtime, and it was It was incredible. It really, really was. And I know I stood up in the room after that was over, and I said, guys, that was absolutely awesome. Like, to watch the work ethic, putting everything on the line, uh, you know, it's almost like we had won right then and there. Unfortunately, we had to fly back and play in a game seven, and I said, you know, it was incredible to watch. Uh, We're going to enjoy this night, but uh, we still got some business to take care of, and uh, I have two pictures up in my office. One is of the 500 goal, and the second is of Marty St. Louis' double overtime goal. I got it signed by Marty, which yeah. is one of my prized possessions. I think it's the greatest goal in Love Lightning it. history. Um, and it's, it was an incredible game. Now, listen, um, driving our bus out of the parade route was a pretty good feeling, too, right? Uh, and I know it's not great for Calgary. <laughs> for sure you know not great for them and i hear it from a lot of Calgary fans but i'll tell you it was uh it was a really cool feeling
1: uh it listen it was a special night for you and your teammates and that series was incredible just every like every single inch uh, was fought for. Like, there was no easy skating. Every single inch of the ice, was, there was a competition, and there was a fight. Uh, from our perch, just a great, great series to watch. Um, Dave, I'll, I'll let you go on that. I, I know your days are full. I really appreciate you spending this much time with me today. Congratulations on the Tampa Hall of Fame nod. Is always, always a great uh, reason to talk to you. Thanks so much. Congrats again. Looks great on Tampa. Looks great on you and your family as well. Thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, you got it, Jeff. Anytime. Thank you. There is Dave Andrichuk, uh, who goes in the Tampa Bay Lightning Hall of Fame on Alumni Weekend, March 8th and 9th. Uh, details will be released later about what that's going to involve. Uh, but both him and Brad Richards uh, go in. I'm glad that he brought up Ruslan Fedotenko. Um, you know, I, I know that it's rare that we talk about that series and don't talk about the Aginla, uh, Vinnie Le Cavalier fight, but nonetheless, uh, there was so much in that series and for everyone listening in Calgary right now, I know that one still burns. I still don't know why Calgary didn't call a timeout at that time and they got to the face off too fast. Ifs and buts for candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. What's up, Maddie? How's it going, Jeff? Good man, how are you today?
3: I'm good. So uh, I sent you a picture. Uh, we're gonna put it I up know, on this. I sc- love this. We're this gonna put a, it up on the screen. Great here. shot. So for those watching yeah, on TV, this. and I'll tweet it out later for those that would like to see it. I mean, you probably don't care that much, but anyway, at Maddie mar 89 um, that's myself with Dave Andrichuk at an autograph signing yeah. in Hamilton, Ontario. And my dad brought me yep. there, and as you can see, Dave Andrew Chuck's head's kind of a little cut off because my dad's not great at taking pictures, uh, never has been, never <laughs> will be. Criticize your dad. And, um, uh, it was he was the nicest man. Went to to that thing, and from then on, Jeff, for the as for the yeah. longest time, I wore number fourteen because Dave Andrew Chuck wore number fourteen, ah. and that's where it all started. Was at that signing, me with the Leafs hat. And uh, my number two Leaf jersey. And, uh, yeah, Dave
1: Anderchuk. So just wanted to tell that story because he was a fantastic did, man did, at that did, signing. So, did, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Now, did you wear 14 through your hockey career? I wore
3: 14 until um, I guess I was 11 because the team that I went, I was playing a year up, and there was already a player on the team yeah. who happened to be the captain who was number 14. So I did not wear 14. That year, but then after that, I wore it until I got to junior, and then I stopped wearing it. Mm. So I wore 14 okay. basically um, my, entire, my entire hockey life.
1: I love that. Uh, normally, kids pick birthdays, right? They'll pick yeah. their, their either their birth, like the birthday, sometimes they'll pick their birth year. Um, I always. <laughs> uh, I always found my, my favorite number story still is uh, Jordan Tutu. Okay, you know the Jordan Tutu story. I'm assuming it's For because of,
3: numbers because of his last name. That would be a, a pretty easy
1: guess. You would think it gets even. It gets even deeper. Okay, this is one of my f- this is one of my favorite things about any hockey player. Do you know when Jordan Tutu was born? What day was he born
3: on? January twenty second, by any chance?
1: February or February twenty second? February. Oh, two. February
3: second. Okay, sure.
1: Two two. Two two on two two. You can't make it up, Maddie. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. It's true, man. Can't, plan, can't thing, plan that I Can't plan that one. <laughs> Yes,
3: yeah, It's gonna work. The baby's
1: coming out February second.
3: <laughs> well, he, so my daughter was born August <laughs> August twenty second, and we tried. I, I told my yeah. wife, I was like, if you can, if you can get her out at eight twenty two, it could be eight twenty two, eight twenty two, oh, and twenty twenty two. Could have done it. No, oh, no, geez. yeah, it oh, didn't happen. No, no, we we no, missed. No, Jeff no, missed no. by twenty minutes. It was close. <laughs> 20 minutes, it's, that's it? It was close. Wow. We were right there. But so the thing with the, with the numbers, got it. with the numbers is too, is growing up, like we didn't have our choice of numbers to wear. It was like these were stock numbers and that's what you got, right? You're, you're seven, Same. eight, Same. nine, 10, 11, 14, 13 was almost never available for reasons that are beyond me. True um and then you know, always,
1: it's, it's always it's always for, for superstition like uh, uh, I, I understand that like just like there's no 13s and apartment buildings and yeah hotels, except you know, know that the 14th floor
3: you know that the 14th floor is the 13th no, floor right no you don't no you don't, as, no, you don't. nope nope as, that's the 14th floor as as comedian tom segura said so there's no floor he says so what happens uh, if there was a 13th he says well that's where all the ghosts and goblins would be on that floor and it'd be very yeah, scary. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, and then when I got to junior, we got to choose our own number. So I did
1: not choose 14. It is a relatively recent phenomenon, too, because, you know, here I am going to date myself again. Uh, Back in my time, sunny gather around, which was the style of the time. No, like when I played in the MTHL, no one picked their jerseys. No, no. Like, you're right. Like, these these were the stock numbers for every single team. Now, and I didn't get a name on the back of my jersey. Oh, gosh, no. I think I had it, like, one year growing up. But now... Everybody's got them. Everybody's got that. They got a sponsor on the bottom. They got their own number. Oh, yeah. Everyone's got a story about it. This is the number my dad wore when he played. This is my mom's favorite number. This is my birthday. Everyone's got their own numbers. Everyone's got their own nameplates. Oh yeah. It's all different. Not in my day. Maddie, back in my day. I, I got I, I got, think got, I was I think I I think I think I might have been the fr- the first year where cages were mandatory. I I remember playing house league my first year in the West end, Toronto at Warren park at Lampton arena. And there were kids that did not have cages. It's wild.
3: It's so wild to think that. I know it's crazy. I look back
1: at pictures and I'm like, what the hell (laughs) you're old, man. That's usually my, that's usually my first thought. Yeah. I got a text
3: from, I got a text from my buddy, uh, Mark who I played junior with actually. And he was, who wore fourteen? Um, He ended up going on to have a much better hockey career than I did, playing Division One at University of uh, Niagara. So, um, yeah, he 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 definitely had a leg up
1: on me there. I like how you don't call it Junzies. No, what it is what is that? So I appreciate I appreciate. What that. is that? I don't know my kids, man. That's what I they call know. it. I play in June junezies with my buddy maddie oh, oh yeah, no yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got nice. we need
3: you know what like i don't think you should hit children i don't think you should hit anybody but you kind of just need to like the
1: three stooges like <laughs> all three of them like that's enough of that <laughs> uh okay a couple of things uh aaron port's line tweeting out about 30 minutes ago patrick Line's quotes mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about line a, rightfully so healthy scratch against philadelphia flyers he says this quotes. Over my career, it's probably the most embarrassing thing that's happened to me. I'm not happy about that. They know that. It is what it is. That's another quote that I wish would go away, but nonetheless. <laughs> it is what it is. It's over and done. I don't get the sense that the line A situation in Columbus is um, over and done. Do you? No, not based on that quote. Like, that's that's you know, as honest like, as it gets. <laughs> You know, like the 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 old line from uh, from Magnolia. You may be done with history, but history's not done with you. Yeah, kind of how I feel. Uh, you may be over and done with it. I don't think it's over and done. No, I don't get that sense at all. But is
3: that is that also the cry for Patrick Lyon? to say, get me the heck out of here because I'm done with this place. Like, is that is that part of it? Because I, um, I do struggle with the idea of
1: well, you signed a long term extension here, so that's on you. I don't know, I don't know. I, I I don't I don't know I don't know what the long term play is here for both Johnny Gaudreau and Patrick Laine. You know there there are some. You know, I had one conversation with someone who said I wonder if they're trying to get them both to uh, request trades. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. But okay, then you still got a deal. He's like, what's what's what's. What's the long What's the long term play here? I know, like that, that. That's why, like, but that's the nature of the conversation, right? Yeah. Now. Like, you're hearing goofy things about Edmonton and what they're gonna do. We're hearing goofy things about the Columbus Blue Jackets and what they're gonna do. And meanwhile, you know who's just sort of whistling by all of this? A team that we thought was gonna be in the utter basement, competing with the San Jose Sharks for Macklin's celebration. Yep. Philadelphia Flyers. Mm-hmm. Now they may not end with uh, Macklin Celebrini here and a couple of you know a little bit later on, but still, it is interesting, is it not? Oh yeah, and
3: there's going to be the the thing is is like it's not like this is going away in a week. This is weeks and maybe months that this is still going to be lingering because, you know, you talked about like Wierenski's not having a great start and Gaudreau and Lion not yeah. having great starts. Like those are the guys that you expect to be good. And when they're not good, guess what? You're in trouble.
1: I know. Okay. uh We are heavy on time. As Lance reminds me, we uh, need to get to a break. Brian McClellan coming up on the other side. I want to talk to Brian McClellan about age and aging curves And how much he thinks about that, uh, if at all, because the Washington Capitals are doing just fine. Thank you very much right now. Uh, Brian McClellan, Washington Capitals general manager. Things are going good for the Caps. Uh, Joins me next on the Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Back in a moment.
3: Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt
2: Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Don't look now, but the Washington City Capitals are tucked very nicely as U.S. Thanksgiving approaches. In the playoff spot, in the Metropolitan Division, if you go by points, they're in third. If you go by winning percentage, they're in second. Well, if that the Philadelphia Flyers trailing the Juggernaut New York Rangers. Brian McClellan is, of course, the general manager uh, of the Washington Capitals, and he joins me now. Brian, good afternoon. How are you today? Good. How are you doing, Jeff? Uh, I'm doing well. So this is um, this is a chance for a victory lap. I think that uh, everyone's pleasantly surprised uh, a little bit at, at how the Washington Capitals uh, have performed. I mean, I think we talked a lot about aging curves and at what point do they hit the wall, et cetera. Um, your thoughts on what you heard at the beginning of the season, and if you'd like to do a little victory lap here in advance of Thanksgiving, go for it.
4: <laughs>
1: yeah,
4: yeah, I think it's a little too early to do a victory lap. <laughs> Yeah, but, but we'll take it. I mean, I, I do think we're at a good spot. Um, I still think we're, in a, we're a work in progress. Um, but I think pleasantly surprised we've got some young guys contributing offensively, which has really helped us out. And um, mm-hmm. good goaltending, too. So, so I think both those factors have you know contributed to a pretty good start for us and gives us something to build on for the rest of the year.
1: Let me let me pick up on that goaltending comment as well too, because I can remember um, before you signed him, uh, having a conversation with Kevin Woodley from In Goal Magazine, and I said like, who who's the sneaky good goaltender that some smart general manager is going to sign here. And he's going to look like a genius because of it. And right away he said, whoever signs Charlie Lindgren wins. And that was you, Brian. Um, can you re- can you recall the the pursuit and what you saw in Lindgren? And listen, he's been fantastic. I don't need to tell you that. But for all of our listeners and viewers, he's been fantastic for the Washington Capitals this season. Can you talk to us about the the pursuit of Charlie Lindgren?
4: Yeah, I think we went through a process. We were, you know, we were trying to, change our goaltending up both the goalies um wanted to you know to establish number one and then we were looking for a guy that was in our price range that we had thought had some upside um he had a pretty good year in st louis the year before but the sample size was small and he but he did really well in it so i mean we viewed it as a as a you know an upside risk and Um, you know there's a possibility that he was just coming into his own and you know he had a really good stretch for us last year like the one he's presently in and then as a team we kind of you know we went sideways a little bit and you know his game went sideways with us but this year he's been phenomenal for us and uh, real good stretch for him here Hopefully, hopefully he can keep it up for the rest of the year.
1: Yeah, can I ask you a, a question about right catch goaltenders? Because I mean, there there aren't a lot of them, um, and I've always wondered: are are managers hesitant to um, uh, to dress two right catch netminders specifically in practice? Because the Lions' share of goalies are left catch goaltenders, and it can kind of mess shooters up. Do you have a, th- a theory on on right catch goaltenders, and should you only have one, or can you have two?
4: I don't know. There isn't that many around, is there, Jeff? Um,
1: That's
4: right. No, no there's, I there's not. I, we never really thought about it. I think it'd be hard to find two to get them both in your system. But um, mm-hmm. for him, I, he's he's got an unbelievable glove. Um, you know, I talk with our goalie coach. I mean, did he play baseball? Or I mean, he he catches a lot of pucks. And uh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a theory on. Uh, Opposite hand goalies, but, um, he's been good for us. So we'll go with that.
1: Yeah. He's been, uh, he's been exceptional. Okay. Um, the age question, you know, every year, uh, in the off season, people make the aging curve argument for teams like the Capitals, teams like the Pittsburgh Penguins, and eventually they're going to hit that wall. Uh, do you have a thought on the aging curve conversation?
4: Yeah. I mean, I, I do think it's a factor um I I think I mean but, but I'm you know I still think teams need guys in their 30s on their team. I, I just don't think you can have too many of them. I I think um you got to be supplementing your guys with younger guys coming underneath. Um I th- do think you've had uh, I mean I think with us in Pittsburgh you have guys like o v Crosby um you know you know backstrom in a way that had such, that were at such an elite level, as they age, they become closer to the average type player. But their drop-off happens in a different way than a normal player would, and, and they're still effective players. They're mm-hmm. still good players. So I think the teams that if you can balance out the older guys with the young guys, I still think you're competitive in the league.
1: Um, let, let me ask about Alex Ovechkin. I mean, it's impossible to have a Washington Capitals conversation without you know, bringing up uh, someone who's, who's poised to become the greatest goal scorer of all time. Uh, some would already maintain that he's already there. Uh, the one interesting thing, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things, but the one thing that I want to sort of uh, ask you about here is I'm always curious, considering how Ovechkin doesn't, he's not shy, like he plays a physical game. I'm always amazed at how Alex Ovechkin has missed the big injury. Like, I know he's in, you know, he's a big, strong guy, and we've all seen the shot, obviously. Um, But how does he do it? Like, how has Ovechkin, you know, sort of dodged the big injury? I mean, someone who's playing into his late 30s here, generally there's going to be stretches where, you know, I missed half a season or I missed a full season. Hasn't happened with Ovechkin. Do you have a a theory or a, a reason why?
4: Well, I just think he's the strength. He's got phenomenal strength, and he's he's a thick body. He's got uh, lower body strength. I think he has the ability to absorb a lot of the physicality. He can take hits. He can give hits, and I do think he plays through things too. He hasn't had the major injury, but he's had injuries, and he plays through it. He finds a way to yeah. get through it, and you know it's it's unbelievable how many games or few games he's missed due to injury so it's um it's a, it's a lot of will and i think it's his physical blessings his strength his body build uh helps him in that capacity
1: how much, um, how much talk is there around the organization about the record? I know everything is about the win uh, and getting to the playoffs, and then a playoff run, etc. Stanley Cup is always the uh, the ultimate prize, but is there any conversation internally about the Gretzky record?
4: I, you, I'm not aware of any, Jeff. I, I don't think we talk about it. I think we're all aware of you know, where he's at and where Mm -hmm. he's going to. Uh, um, And I think if you talk to him, he's not going to bring it up. Um, He he has more of the mental approach. of it happens, it happens. He's going game to game, and uh, he wants to play on a winning team. And I think that's the main conversation that goes around. And um, very rarely is it discussed, um, you know, um, how many and where we get into beyond the, the press part of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask you about Connor McMichael. Um, so, uh, I'll give you a little bit of background here about myself. So, my my 2012 plays on uh, the AAA Ajax Pickering Raiders. And his coach is Danny Minnings, who was the same coach that Connor McMichael had growing up in minor slath youth hockey as well. So everyone in the organization here in Ajax Pickering is, you know, having a look at Connor McMichael and what's going to happen, and is he going to stick, and how's he doing, and did he score last night, etc. Can you give us all a snapshot of how you see Connor McMichael right now?
4: Yeah, I think he's in a good place. Um... You know, I I think when we drafted him, you know, I would have had him pegged as, you know, he's he's a, you know, a goal scorer, sniper, um, maybe cheats a little bit on the offensive side. Um, As he's developed, he's become a two-way player. Uh, Now he's killing penalties. Uh, We're starting to get him on the power play now. Um, Plays a 200-foot game. Seems to be in the right position in his own end. Uh, Supports the puck really well. And I think we're just tapping into his offensive upside right now. Um, He's starting to challenge guys one-on-one. He's starting to get a little bit more power play time now. So I think the upside is there offensively. And I think he has a good base of what he's learned defensively and the PK side too. So I I think he's going to be a really good two-way player that uh, provides some offense too.
1: Um, Nicholas Backstrom. I mean, that's been one of the headlines. I would imagine one of the more probably uncomfortable conversations, Brian, safe to say that that you've had uh, with the player. Can you sort of share as, as much as you can about what those conversations uh, with Nicholas Backstrom uh, was like coming off a of surgery, the likes of which that he had, um, is difficult for anybody, let alone someone who's at the age of 35. A, a thought or two or a, share some experience with the conversations around Nick Backstrom.
4: Yeah, I, I think he's been such a big part of our organization, the culture here, you know, obviously winning the Cup. Uh, he's played a 1,000 games with us. He's got over 1,000 points. Um, you know, along with Ovi, they, they've been the, the face of our franchise, you know, for the past, past 17 years, 18 years. Um, you know, I think that the hip thing came here probably three years ago where it went to a different level and, uh, to watch him, first of all, struggle, play through pain with it, uh, was, was a hard and then the, the different stages of how do we dress it? How do you, how does he become pain-free? How can he get back to where he wants to be? Was a good two and a half, three year process, um, mm-hmm. that, You know, you didn't want to see him the wrong way, but you wanted to see him to go out the right way. So it's just a difficult situation all around. And he made a decision here uh, just a little bit ago that, you know, he was going to exit and that's the way he was going out. So I give him a lot of respect for the way he did it.
1: You know we uh we always believed that uh and again um health being the the wild card here but provided both were were healthy right to the very end that the plan was for Ovechkin and Backstrom to end their careers together. Were you under the same impression?
4: Yeah, I think roughly together. I think he wanted he wanted them to go out kind of the right way and you know, uh, storybook, end, storybook ending, you'd like to see Backstrom and, uh, you know, assistant on Ovi making, breaking Gretzky's record, you know. I mean, that's the idealistic one, but uh, unfortunately it's not going to go out that way. And, um, you know, we'll see how it ends here in the end for Ovi. But um, I don't think, I mean, it's. I think it's tough for players that are elite, on how they exit the game. You know, how 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 can they go out um, while still staying on top, while still maintaining your respect that you have as a player?
1: Um, Brian, I want to ask you about Tom Wilson, and one thing very specifically. You know, I, I regret uh, in Vegas at the Players Tour not asking Tom this question, uh, so I'll ask you instead. Has it Was there ever a moment... Where Tom Wilson came to you, because listen, I, I grew up in, in, in Toronto and remember the Norris division. and remember you playing with the North Stars and you were someone that nobody wanted to go near. Like, it's not the guys with the 300 penalty minutes you have to be afraid of. It's the guy that has the 100 because nobody wants to touch him. Did you ever, ever did Tom Wilson ever come up to you and said, geez, Brian, I just saw some of your fights on YouTube. I had no idea you were that tough.
4: Yeah, No. No, I, we've never. I mean, I think, <laughs> yeah, no, that's never happened. I don't, and I'm not, you know, I don't know that I was that guy, but, you know, you try and take care of yourself when you can. But I think there was a lot tougher guys than me in the league at that time.
1: You were someone that no one wanted to tangle with you. Like, there was like you and Kurt Fraser were the two yeah. sort of sneaky guys that nobody wanted to go near.
4: Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but I, I guess I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, your, your thoughts on Tom Wilson and what he does bring to the Washington Capitals outside of not asking? Yeah, I mean, you about he's your, uh, your tough, yeah, tough no, background.
4: he's, he's uh, he, he does a lot of the right things. He, I mean, he he competes, he drives our practices. Uh, I mean, he's a good teammate. Uh, plays a physical game, he has a skill, he skates well, he can PK, he can play in the power play. I mean, he just brings a lot to our organization. And I think the team and management and everybody the coaches all respect what he does on a daily basis. Uh, So, I mean, he he drives the culture here. You know, with Nick out, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we need him to be uh, one of our main culture guys. And he's provided that throughout his career.
1: Let me uh, let, let me end on this one. So here we are. You know, U.S. Thanksgiving is on the horizon, and that's sort of the uh, are you in or are you out cut line. Unofficial, there have been some teams. We think of St. Louis in 2019 as the best example, who have said, you know, uh, we're maybe out of it, but we're calling up Jordan Bennington, and we're going to go for it. Next thing you know, they're they're raising Lord Stanley's mug. Um, when you look at what you've seen so far, either in your division, in your conference, in the game, in general. What stands out for you right now in the NHL? Are there patterns that you're seeing? Is there something that you're seeing with more frequency than you thought? Is there anything that jumps out to you? You know, here we are some 15, 16 games into the season. What's, what's popping for you right now, Brian? What do you notice?
4: I think there's a lot of teams bumped or uh, clustered together, Jeff. I think, you know, I, I don't, I mean, I know the Thanksgiving thing. I think there might be more teams than usual that bump up in the top eight. You know, I, I see some good teams that aren't quite there but could get there, and there's not a whole lot of gap between some of the teams that are going to make the playoffs. So, so I think it's, you know, it's bunched up. I mean, you've got Philadelphia and Washington above Carolina and Pittsburgh and New Jersey and the Islanders, which are all good teams in our division, mm-hmm. and I could see that jockeying back and forth for the whole year. I don't know that I would put much as much stock into the uh, Thanksgiving cutoff date as I normally would, mm-hmm. and the same with the other divisions. That's interesting.
1: Too. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's always been an interesting cut line. Listen, we're uh, we're up against the clock. Uh, always appreciate you stopping by. Listen, I know you want to downplay it and say it's too early, but listen, Caps have been a lot of fun to watch. Uh, congratulations on the on the early season success. Thanks as always for stopping by, Brian.
4: All right, thanks for having me on, Jeff. I'll talk to you later.
1: Uh, There there he is. Brian McClellan is the general manager of the Washington Capitals. Uh, By way of winning percentage, they are second in the Metropolitan. Uh, By points, they are third. Um, For those who wrote off the Washington Capitals at the beginning of the season, so far, bad call. But to Brian's point a second ago, we'll bring Matt Marchese in on this one at this point, Uh, there's still a lot of hockey to be played, and I don't know that we're going to get... I mean, the, the only sort of pattern, Maddie, is that the New York Rangers look scary good and the Columbus Blue Jackets look scary bad and then there's a bunch of teams in between. Is that how you see the Metro? Because that's how I see the Metro.
3: A little bit. I mean, you know, we talked about Philly that they're maybe playing above expectations right now, punching above their weight class. Yep, uh, but also, I look at it and say the New Jersey Devils are not having the year... That I thought they were gonna have either. And it's a long season.
1: And so there's still a lot to happen here. Hold on, on New Jersey. Hold on. Don't you think, though, that that's just because of the Hughes Heischer injuries? Well, that's what I'm
3: saying. Like, I'm just saying, like, they're not where we thought they were going to be at this point. And and yes, I mean, health, I mean, Timo Meyer hasn't been great either. Like, there's been a lot of things that, you know, and you don't expect injuries. You never wanna see injuries. But that's where I'm kind of looking at it and saying, I'm not really. I'm not I'm not willing to go there with the devils. Maybe with you know Pittsburgh has been very mediocre and um and Washington had that really really bad start and now they've reeled off I think four straight wins and they're playing really well and Charlie Lindgren looks awesome. Yep. I agree with Brian in that maybe this year there's a l- there's a lot that's going to change rather than just looking at the standings and go, okay, you know, the percentages in the past have been this. Maybe we're not going to see that quite again. Like I I think there's, I agree. There's too many teams bunched up in the, in the
1: same slot. We'll see who kind of steps up. Mm -hmm. Um, I see the Carolina Hurricanes still making moves. Mm -hmm. I see, like, I don't think it's any, you know, secret. Elliot was talking about Tony D'Angelo maybe being on the trade block Uh, I don't know that I can see the (laughs) Pittsburgh Penguins making moves. I know he got there like five minutes ago, but you know, nonetheless, Uh, I don't know that I can see the Philadelphia Flyers making any moves, uh, even if they are in a playoff position. I don't think they're going to try to hit fast forward on this rebuild at all. Nope. I think that uh, this is essentially the real first go for it year of the rebuild and, right now this has found money like 21 points after 18 games 583 find themselves in second in the division they'll just take it that's fine so i don't see them making moves um the islanders i can see looking for a left winger to play on that top line with barzell and horvat i can see him trying to get a defenseman as well uh don't know that i can see the islanders making much more moves than that like i i, I look at, at teams here in their divisions and I don't necessarily know that I think that the Metropolitan Division is going to be all that frisky when it comes to trade deadline or or in-season here. Like, I think we do wonder about Columbus, but Columbus, you know, shedding skin, not adding bodies. Um, I, I don't know that I see much movement here, like as far as players shuffling out and new players coming in in the Metropolitan at all. Matt?
3: Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that. It's funny, you mentioned the Islanders there. I had a thought about the Islanders as you were talking there about adding a left-winger. You know... <laughs> The ideal thing for them to do at this point, because I don't think anybody has any illusions that they're going to make the playoffs. I certainly don't, um, as I've made very, very Island, apparent Islanders on do. this team. Of course they Islanders do. do. Sure. I mean, Islanders but, do. but I'm also watching the games and I'm a realist. So anyway, um, the, the move to me that feels like something that they should do, and I'm not certain that they will, is to go out and find that younger player that hasn't quite lived up to expectations and give them a shot on the top line. Maybe somebody that's, you know, not playing top-line minutes and they're, you know, kind of scuffling on the third line, someone that has a high draft pedigree, all of those things. Like, that's the type of thing that I would look at if I was the Islanders and not going out to make another big splash that, let's face it, you probably can't afford to do. Like, you can't go out and and trade a first-round pick at this point to to bring in somebody because you're not good enough to do that. And so, I mean, that's just my opinion, but that's how I kind of view the Islanders. And I think that going out and getting somebody... Who you know has that draft pedigree? Maybe hasn't panned out somewhere. Needs a change of scenery. That's where I would be looking to add on that top line.
1: Do you have a name in mind?
3: Not at this moment, but I mean, that's what I would be looking at. Why did you have somebody in mind as I was talking there?
1: No, I don't. I'm just I'm just trying to I'm trying to think about who that who that player can be.
3: I mean, they're littered. They're um, they're all over the place, right? Like those are, you know, those guys are everywhere. They they do they do appear. It's just that's the type of move that I would make if I was the Islanders because generally speaking, the cost is not going to be that high. maybe it's a player for player deal,
1: yeah. you
3: know, take my problem for your problem type thing like that's
1: that's what I would be looking at they want a score they want someone that can score goals on the left side that's what they want. they want someone because you you look at what they've done you look at the, you look at this season and you look at last season it was well how many Players have shuffled in and out on that line with Barzell and Horvat. Yeah. It's a revolving door. And I'm sure at times that line feels like they're playing five on four because of it. I think if you're Lou Lamarillo, I don't know that it's job number one because I know they still want a defenseman too. But I would imagine close I, to the top of your decision list is get that winger for those two players. I had an idea and it'll be quick here because I know we gotta go. Go look
3: All at the right. buf- go look at the Buffalo Sabres. They've got lots of young players. They could maybe use some help on the back end. Maybe there's a they're little swap there. Of of kids. No, but maybe they're you can sweeten the pot a little kids. bit, Jeff.
1: And those guys in Roch, they're not getting rid of either. Like, it looks so good. Somebody's got to go. For the Buffalo <laughs> Sabres. Isak Rosan, Yuri Kulich as well. they got some real, real Benson, Savoy. They've done a good job. Uh, and it's only going to get better. I know it's a tough time right now for the Swords. Uh, thanks to Friedman Russo, Andrew Chuck, McClellan. Thanks to you for listening slash watching. David Sis, Matt Marchese, Lance Kennedy, James Wilson. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Back in 22 hours Well, we can actually talk about games. Yeah, they're playing tomorrow, just not tonight. Meet your family.